Welcome back to the flip side, folks. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. We are in the, the, the fully in the month of August at this point and ready to chat about some various things that uh, have been both suggested to us and that we have brought up ourselves here over the course of the last couple of weeks. We sorry, we're sorry we've kind of had an irregular schedule for broadcasting, but it is the end of summer and we do work in academia and this is the last light in the tunnel <laughs> for a good 10 months, basically. Oh, yeah. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, sorry. I, our schedules got, got weirded out last week, so we weren't able to, to, to come together. You doing okay? You sound like you got a little, it sounds like you've been either, either sick or you've been singing a lot. Neither. Both. Oh, okay. uh, I'm not sure why I have this husky, um, I don't even know what you would call it at this point, but uh, whatever this thing is in my throat, it's it's just how I maybe this is how I'm going to talk from now on. I'm just going. Right, no, I I I, I like the, the the husky like two pack a day Ryan Adams thing you got going on here. It's good. It's, I don't yeah. know what Ryan Adams' speaking voice sounds like. No, it sounds. Imagine I, it does not sound. That's more. Uh, that's uh, yeah. The I don't. It's funny because I, I used to smoke, uh, and I don't think I sounded like that when I did smoke. So right. I'm perplexed. Maybe it's the microphone. I'm not 100 percent uh, certain. So you'll be happy to know my wife has recently discovered discovers the wrong word but started listening to ryan adams and Good. and has has done the thing like i did with wilco earlier this summer which is the duh where the hell of what the hell has been wrong with with, with us right mm-hmm. you know it's never like we were sitting around thinking oh ryan adams oh i wonder if he's any good like you know you you know right. there's talent but she made a i remember she made a, a playlist for our vacation a few weeks ago and she had taken like musical suggestions from one of the Avet brothers fan boards that were on. And she made a playlist of all the songs and Ryan Adams obviously came up a few times. And it was one of the things where she would, she said, I was listening to it. And every time you come up, you're like, Oh my God, who is this? Oh my God, duh, it's Ryan Adams <laughs> went on a Spotify binge and we've been listening to him a lot. And you just saw him. Was it last week? You saw him a couple times last Twice. week. Was it? Yeah. I saw him nice. at uh, the Riverside theater in Wisconsin and then saw him at the, the, pageant in st louis both of which are very interesting venues oh yeah are they older venues are they like theaters or clubs or the the riverside's a theater it's an older venue from what i could tell it's a little more traditional kind of theater thing the pageant's very interesting it's it's actually not that old it was built in 2001 um and our tickets there were interesting because there's a ga section below with like tables and then there's like a center like ga section where everybody stands in front of the stage but then there was it was an upper level too, and there was like bar service in both oh, like right up to the start of the show. And where our seats were at, we were like directly over the stage, looking down, and then like maybe twenty feet was was where the stage was at. So that was a really kind of unique uh, vantage point to watch a show that I had not experienced before. Yeah. I had that place like that in Pittsburgh. I think it was Metropole. I don't even know if it still exists, but uh, I saw the tragically hip there, and nice. uh, it was similar situation, like up top and like you're yeah. da- looking down on, like almost on top of the stage, right down. It's a really interesting way to to see. It. It's a, it's a di- nice vantage point to have. Well, so. any any uh, anything I can do to help you and your wife with your Ryan Adams discovery, I'm happy to. I, I'm it's the that discography doesn't even scratch the surface. There's so much unreleased stuff that's, uh, that's in the hopper that yeah. uh, you discover and you're like, well, why have I not, why is this not available to the public? It's, it's right. fascinating. And I mean, it's kind of like Wilco and Ryan, Ryan Adams can be that kind of daunting 
artists to get into um, because there's so much. It's almost like, you know, it's, you know, I've said this on other podcasts, it's the Rob Gordon problem of, you know, do I, I want to start out in the proper place to understand it rather than, and certainly there are, you know, with Wilco, uh, a fan, a friend, fan of mine gave me the, the, you don't start with Yankee Foxtrot Hotel. You start with Summer Teeth. You start with being right. there get into that and then kind of get into and then kind of progress from there. Um, but, but yeah, it can be, it, it can be really daunting. Cause like, where do you start? I mean, Spotify generally is good with this. Cause they'll have like the, yeah. I, I, I assuming there's like a, this is Ryan Adams thing where it like has his air quotes hits. I say right. that not to be derogatory, but he doesn't have like, you know, radio hit a, a ton of big radio hits that everyone knows, but it was, it, it's kind of a good introduction those are kind of a good introduction. So it's not, so it's daunting, but it's fun. It's fun to get you know, into these like, artists. It's like when I try to get people into Neil Young uh, and that, yeah. that might be the most daunting discography uh, because you also have to go into the unreleased stuff and right. there's just so much. And I mean, I, like I started listening to to Neil Young when I was 14, I want to say, okay. and I'm still discovering stuff, you know, or I'm still right. listening to stuff that I haven't heard yet. So, uh, you know, Ryan Adams is similar. A lot of music packed into, um, you know, a career that spanned about uh, 22, 23 years at this point, but it's an interesting era to be doing this in because, you know, there's so much unreleased music on YouTube that you can tune into. There's stuff available. If you go and I mean, there's, there's file sharing, you know, websites that have stuff. There's, uh, there's live shows. I think that's kind of been the most interesting thing. I don't know if you, uh, there's an app that you can get for iPhone that we were using on our trip uh, called eTree Mobile. No, never heard of it. Um, and so if, you, um, if you've ever been to archive.org, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Internet Archive, they have a tremendous selection of concerts from bands that are taper friendly. and. Okay. Uh, and this eTree Mobile actually allows you, if, if the artist is in the catalog, to listen to these shows streaming wherever you go. So, you know, you nice. could be driving in the car and just pop a show on and just start listening to it straight through. And I think that's a really cool thing. And, you know, I remember when I first started getting into music that you couldn't get in stores. Now, this again, this would have been back in the mid 90s. Everybody was still doing tape trading. Like it wasn't even right. CD trading at that point. And you're you know, I mean, you're buying, you know, you're sending people blanks and postage and hoping that they send you back stuff or you, right. you get, you're a, you're a, a branch on a, on a, a tree, you know, and then you, people send you stuff and you send them things. And it's just like, it, that whole process was very tedious. It was cool because you made contact with people, but this is right. better, I think, because you don't have to make contact with people. Right. I, I, yeah. So I had one instance in my life where I tried to tape a show. And it went, it went, it was horrific. Um, and, and it's output. It was a, it was a tragically hip show and they were playing in New York. It was their first show on, this was in 1998. So it's their Phantom Power Tour. And like through the, the college radio station at Bonaventure and Connections, I was able to get tickets. So I go down to the city and I have like, I have a, a little micro cassette recorder with me because there was a chance I was going to get to interview the band for the station. So I had, I had a, a, a micro cassette recorder. Um, and so it, uh, the interview fell through, whatever, but it was still at the show. And I literally tried to tape the show on a micro cassette. 
Yeah. It, it, it did not go well. I, I, I don't think, I don't think any, and of course I was hi- there. Yeah. And of course I was hiding into my backpack because, you know, the hip are very tape friendly, but I don't want to get thrown out of the, of this show. And so I tried to run it in my back. It was, it was horrific. It was, yeah. it was, um, so are you a taper? Have you ever taped? Um, I've never taped in, well, okay. I, my, my buddy had a band that used to play bars, uh, back in, in the mid two thousands. And I was able to, um, you know, tape some of their shows, which is cool. Now going back, I was, I just transferred one off of the tape, uh, about a month ago and it was cool to listen to that, uh, and okay. like go in and like do stuff, but I've never actually gone and taped uh, a, a big act, but okay. I did at these Ryan Adams shows, particularly the the one at St. Louis, I taped on my phone. Like I was actually recording and the sound wasn't bad. Like I certainly, I would have preferred to have had a little microphone on the phone. And I, and actually, I I think I got access to one through the school that I might be able to use, but the sound quality ended up being pretty good. And I've uploaded those to YouTube and I've, you know, got like hundreds of, of, views on that already so i think oh, that's nice. neat yeah yeah so all right we should move on probably uh do you have a beer recommendation since we're not drinking now since it's the middle of the day but do you have a beer or wine recommendation from the past week and a half yes but why don't you go first because i need to call mine up on untapped gotcha so i this this is one that my friend uh matt Traub gave to gave my wife and i a couple bottles of during our last vacation this is uh dogfish heads beer to drink music to 2017 yeah. uh every year uh the last two years dogfish head has done a uh, a special brew for uh records national record store day the spring one not the other one i don't know the other one's in the fall i think i don't know there's like right. eight record store days but it's the the main one uh in the spring and this year's version it is let me call it up so i can say the right thing i'm probably gonna have to say that i'm 21 uh but it it's uh da, da, da. yep so i'm gonna say that i was uh, august 9th 1926 okay to get access that's uh, fair and uh it, so it is a tropical blonde that's what i was trying to get so it's a blonde huh. elf brewed with kiwi juice and hibiscus flowers and the kiwi comes through nicely it's a different kind of flavor different kind of citrus so it's not like the lime or the or the the lemon that you're kind of expecting it gives it a nice a nice kind of fuller flavor to it i was a fan of it that's great i'm gonna go with uh, this is not an unknown beer by any stretch of the imagination but it's one that deserves uh, recognition i don't think we've recognized this on the podcast yet but uh the new glarus spotted cow Ooh, okay which uh is a cream ale uh, it's a nice, easy drinking summer beer. It's it's legendary in Wisconsin. I mean, if, if you go into a gas station on um, on any of the interstates in Wisconsin, and they have cases of it, the idea being that they're expecting you to buy it and, and uh, drive it home with you wherever you go. Right. Uh, but I really enjoyed. I, I had a I had a new Glarus spotted cow uh, at a at a brat place in Milwaukee. Uh, so that right. was that was a good experience, and then I also had a a Moon Man, also by New Glarus, which is their pale ale. I thought both of those were very good. Excellent. I'm uh, I, and I've said before here, I am a uh, a huge cream ale fan. So I don't think they, uh, I don't think New Glarus gets out out this way. But if I'm ever in Wisconsin, I know what I'm going to try. One yeah. of them at least. There you know, I would I would highly uh, like that's I, it was that's probably the Wisconsin beer that people are most familiar with i think if 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 every state has its own you know beer representative that would definitely be the one that got elected to the senate all right what what would so what would indiana's be do you think three floyds 
Three Floyds? All right. Unqu- yeah, unquestioned. It'd be three Floyds. It'd, be, it'd probably be like three Floyds, either Alpha King or Gumball Head. Um, okay. I think that's that's certainly got the most national recognition. Um, and I think um, the other one might be Upland Wheat. Uh, that's a very mm-hmm. popular regional beer now that people seem to know about. So I would uh, I would say it's probably certainly the three Floyds. And, and I'll, I'll throw in a recommendation for the Upland Wheat just because it does seem to have a nice following around the country. Yeah, unfortunately, not unfortunately, because I like their beers just fine. But I think Brooklyn would be New York's main representative. You not know. Uh, not Southern Tier. Uh, Southern Tier, I think Southern Tier and Brooklyn would be the top. Would be the two. Saranac as a potential like third party writing candidate. Um, but kind of if we're going like for national national thing, I think probably be Southern Tier and Brooklyn would be the two. I don't. I'm not saying they're my favorite, but I think they're like the best known and like the most widely oh my oh oh my gang you know what we'll, we'll, we'll throw oh my gang in there instead of brooklyn just because i'm yeah a, i'm an upstate guy and i think it's better so so we have a we had a couple of topics come up uh in, in kind of discussions on social media and on facebook and twitter among a couple friends of ours so do you want to do the driving one first do you want to do the uh, the tv stuff Let's do the driving one first because I just – it's funny. When, when that popped up on Twitter, I was like, wait, we just debated this. And then I was like, no, we didn't. And, and, and I just debated it with people on Facebook, but I don't think okay. you were involved. So, no, I wasn't. Yeah. So anyway, the question – and this came from Lauren Smith was, – was regarding zipper merging uh, and mm-hmm. why people can't do it. And so if you're not familiar with zipper merging, it is basically – You know, the way that merging works in construction zones in most of the United States is that there's a spot where one lane disappears. And so instead of having two lanes, you've got one. And the way that it generally works is that, you know, you get a mile out from that and, you know, you got the merge left sign and everybody starts to merge left immediately as opposed to zipper merging, where the idea would be to keep both lanes of traffic all the way to where the actual blockage of the interstate happens and then have you know a car go through on the left a car merge from the right into the left behind that car then the car behind that one goes so on and so forth so it kind of comes together like a zipper and forms one lane of traffic it's right science has demonstrated on several occasions that this is a much faster and more efficient way of getting traffic to get around obstacles like that. And yet mm-hmm. it is never implemented anywhere. You never actually see it when you're driving. Uh, so the question was, why do people have such a problem doing this, Brian? Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, actually, I do know, but it drives me crazy uh, because yes, it is the, the proper way to drive is to do the zipper merge. You stay in, you merge at the merge point. You stay yeah. in, if the right lane's closing and you're merging left, you stay in the right lane as long as you possibly can because then it keeps everyone moving and you don't have that long backup in, 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 in the lane. Um, but, and I remember I first really learned about this in the book traffic, why we drive the way we do. And I got a link to that in the show notes. It's by Tom Vanderbilt. It's from about 10 years ago. It's kind of one of those turns out books, but it is interesting kind of about driving and, and, and patterns and, and how things work like that. And the first chapter is about merging. And about, you know, how the zipper merge is more efficient, more effective, blah, 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 all that stuff. But people have such strong opinions against it. And and the opinion against it is really kind of like the common courtesy argument. It's the, you can tell, like, I merged over and you're cutting in line by staying over there. Or you're being rude because I, I 
I moved over to the left when the sign told me to move over to the left and you're trying to sneak around me and get in front of me. And that's mean. And that's not, and that's not fair. And that's legitimately like the only argument that people have to it. Not a, it's basically this weird kind of common courtesy thing. And it's just funny. I've, I've thought about this. I've thought about the idea of lines a lot and like waiting our turn in lines and how weirdly powerful that is. I think in our culture and in our society, I remember there was one time, this isn't related to driving at all, but uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so, I was in D.C. for basketball, covering right. basketball, and i um walking around, and I go to the National Archives, as you do when you're a nerd and have a day free in D.C. So you go to the, the Washington Archive, and you wait to get in, and they say before they let you into, like, the rotunda with everything, that there's no line. Like, you don't wait. You can just go up and kind of see everything. So cool. So they open it up and people go, a bunch of people stand in line and kind of go right to the beginning. And I go like to the middle to see the constitution or whatever. And a guy turned and yelled at me. He's like, we're all in line here. We're all waiting here. I'm like, they literally told us there's no line. We don't have to wait. Um, And, you know, (laughs) and, and, you know, and that's funny when we think about it like that, it's funny kind of when we think about it in a driving context, but like one of the best things I've seen about, kind of the rise uh, of the sort of Trumpian brand of conservatism and, and nationalism is this this idea that for a lot of white Americans, they feel like they're waiting in a line to get theirs, whatever theirs is. And there's this perception they have that, you know, people of color, immigrants, LGBT groups are cutting in front of them to get there, to get theirs. And that fuels a lot of the kind of cultural resentment that, that many, many Trump supporters, many whites have toward have toward these groups and these policies. And your mileage may vary on whether you, you find that uh, persuasive or not. But in terms of the driving thing, yeah, like nothing is worse, not only than, than people like staying in the left lane, but you'll see like that that one jerk. And sometimes it's a trucker who like will stay will, like pull halfway into like so if the right lane's closed, they'll like be half in the left lane, but be just enough in the right lane to try to block it. So yep. people can't get around them. And that, I, I, that actively bothers me because that's, that's kind of being actively dangerous and not just being kind of passive aggressive mad about it. Well, so you've hit upon a lot of things. First of all, while I agree that we're seeing this manifest itself publicly in the Trump era, I think these are very, deep-seated feelings in the American psyche that stretch well back beyond and before uh, Trump rose to prominence. I I mean, I've I've observed, living out here in flyover country, I observe them all the time. Because here, there's a real sense of order and Mm -hmm. the idea that if 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 you, not even if you're disrupting order, but if you're viewed as disrupting order, even if you're doing something that's perfectly legitimate, um, you're, you're somehow like breaking your social contract. This is not right. what's going through people's heads, like in those words, but that's the idea. Right. Um, and I think it's kind of like, you know, the way that think about the way that airlines do boarding. The whole idea that in their minds is we're going to let first class and our business select people board first, and we're going to make the rest of the people get on the plane and see all those people already seated in first class, already having drinks, already, you know, everything's, everything's cool. And we're going to, they're going to think, Oh, I want that. So I'm going to spend additional money to get into first class. Mm -hmm. But instead what happens is it just, it generates this seething resentment 
among the people in coach, not just at the people in first class. And I would even argue mostly not the people in first class. Most of it goes towards the airline itself. Yeah. Yeah. This idea that you are, um, you, you know, you're, you're holding these people out as like an example of your preferred group of people and you're making me feel inferior. You're making me feel like somebody's getting ahead instead of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a very powerful element of the, the American psyche that is different from a lot of other countries. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think to some degree, uh, the concept of American exceptionalism and this idea of, of America, you know, being so successful in, in business and in industry over the course of time has largely been the ability within the social structure to get ahead of somebody uh, who's also running the same race as you are right. based upon your own merits. So when you have to sit there and watch somebody else doing something or getting something that you don't have, there's a natural impulse of jealousy that comes out of an environment where there's not an ingrained hierarchical social structure like you get in a lot of European countries, like you get in a lot of of uh, of, of countries from the Pacific Rim. Right. I think with traffic, it comes back down to this idea that if I've already merged into the left lane and I watch somebody zoom past and hold up traffic, in my opinion, because I'm already in this slow lane that's going in this direction. And now because you're going past, because you weren't willing to play by these rules and get in line when everybody else did, you're going to slow everybody up. When in fact, that's not the case. But again, it's like, I think just as, as human beings, we have a hard time figuring out that the visual short-term interests that we observe don't actually mesh with the top-down viewpoint of Mm -hmm. what makes things run efficiently. Right. And I think part of, you know, there's part of it too that, you know, I did this, I did this the the right way. I merged. Why do you get to go ahead of me? You know, why, why, I, I did it. Why can't you? You know, I'm sitting here waiting in traffic. Why can't you wait? You're 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 not being nice about it. Um, so what I when I did my my my, my extensive research into uh, the, into zipper merging for today's show, I um you know on Wikipedia, which is never wrong, I found something interesting, and this is how I can connect it to. I, I feel like it's like the charge rule in basketball, the block charge. So it's one of the interesting things about uh, zipper merge is that. A lot of state governments are, you know, and state like DOTs are trying to promote this thing. Like I've seen, I think in Pennsylvania, you know, merge at merge point signs. So they're trying yes. to actively I, promote we have, we have them here too. Okay. New York, they, New York, no one cares. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, so this is from Wikipedia, which is never wrong. Quote, most states in the United States require merging traffic to yield to through traffic, which already exists in the lane they wish to enter. This further complicates the understanding of proper, proper merging protocol. So like, as, so as I understand that, like, if you're in the left lane and you haven't merged and I'm coming up in the right lane and I merge, what that would mean is that I... I have to yield to you. You don't yield to me. And so I would understand that as being like, if we hit, it's going to be my fault because you have the right of way of that. It's almost like the block charge thing where like, where like you have the, you have position in the left lane and I'm coming in at the right. And if you run into me, no matter what, it's going to be a fall on you unless I'm moving or somewhat somehow else at fault or probably not established or whatever. And you know, it, it, it just, it strikes me as, as, as really weird. Like you would want to incentivize the, the, mer- the, the safe merging and you, you, you would, um, but my, my wife has always had an interesting theory. My wife is a much better driver than I am, especially in traffic situations. And she has always had the great point. If they can see me, they're not going to hit me. Well, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. You know, it's like, we have a, we have a, 
a rash of bad drivers in the Midwest who think they're being polite, but they're actually being terrible drivers. Yes, that has, you know, yes. Um, you go to Italy is a great example. Like Italy has this reputation of being terrifying to drive in. And mm-hmm. if you're used to American, like, you know, mid-sized city driving, yeah, it's terrifying to drive in because everybody's just zooming into every space. It's not terrifying once you start doing what they're doing. And the whole idea, like the, an Italian driver doesn't want to hit you with their car. They don't want to damage right. their car. They just don't want to screw around waiting, uh, you know, when they don't have to. And the idea is, um, you know, if you, if you take space that's available, if it's big enough for your car, like we don't need 20 feet of padding on either side of our vehicle every time we make a, a lane change. And right. so if, you, if you've got that in mind, suddenly – you much prefer to drive that. And I find having driven in Italy a couple of times now, I would rather drive like the Italians. I try to do so here. And people think I'm the bad driver as a result right. of that, you know, and there's, there's a difference between that. Everybody always is like, Oh, is that the scariest place you've driven? I was like, no, the scariest place I've driven is Miami where most of the drivers just legitimately don't care if they hit your car because they okay. don't have insurance. <laughs> uh, and, okay. and, and, and in some cases don't have driver's licenses that, that that's frightening when people truly don't care. Right. But we, we misinterpret using every available inch of space with not giving your like me enough space to do what I want to do. And that's, that's two completely different things. And, you know, much like the zipper merge when you're, when you're being overly cautious or you're expecting people to obey some kind of, of weird, you know, arbitrary set of rules as far as merging, you're actually creating more problems than you're solving. The scariest place I've ever driven is Boston. That's just because Boston makes absolute no goddamn sense of how the, to get the roads there. The roads there make no sense whatsoever. No, no. no. it's funny. I've always been like uh, for a longest time, and even still, if I have to drive in New York City or Manhattan, I get very tense. And then I realized Manhattan's one of the easiest places to drive in America because you yeah. can't speed and it's a grid. If you get lost, you just do a loop. You just turn left until you get back or turn until you're going where you're going. Boston is is ridiculous. But I think you bring up there's an interesting point in this, and you brought it up kind of. When when you mentioned Italy, it's that kind of doing when everyone does it, it's okay. Or like when, when everyone's doing it the same way, it's fine. Like there, there, you know, when, you know, when you drive in Italy, you drive like an Italian does it's safe because everyone's kind of doing that. And that's when it gets into a problem. I think when something like the zipper merge is because it works flawlessly if everyone stays in their lane and stays to the merge point and goes over. But if you get one or two people who move over too quick, now all of a sudden yeah, everyone's not doing it. And so if it's kind of that weird thing where if it doesn't work all the, if not, if everyone's not on the same page, it's not going to work. This is always the biggest issue that I have with people who try to make broad generalizations about the United States. You know, why, why can't we zipper merge like the Swedes do, or why can't we have universal healthcare? Like and it's like, well, the reason is it's not a monoculture. It is right. It is this. It is a melting pot, and it's not a particularly good melting pot these days because there's so much of an emphasis on maintaining a kind of a cultural individuality outside of the collective. And so, mm-hmm. what you end up with is this situation where, you know, people want to do their own thing based mm-hmm. upon what they're culturally comfortable with, and that just with something like this doesn't work. Are you are you see it at air at airports every day when you go there and try to go through, through the security line, like. Mm-hmm you know, uh, an orderly uh, cultural perspective on both the side of the travelers and the side of the security would make security go very quickly. I mean, go to another country and go through their security lines. And they're, they're normally very orderly. 
normally there's not a whole lot of problems. Um, but here there's, because there's so many different cultural influences that filter through each process, you end up with a mess more times than not. Interesting. Are the Swedes good at zipper merging? Is that a thing? Uh, the Swedes are good at everything, aren't they? Okay. I mean, I just assume sure. they're just, the, <laughs> it's like they're, they're great at pop music. So why wouldn't they be great at, at zipper merging? I mean, that's, I can't argue with that's pretty flawless logic. So, <laughs> all right. So we have, uh, we have the, the news that came out yesterday, not the news that we're all going to die um, soon. Uh, we're, I mean, we're all going to die, but like we could like be incinerated at any day now. Has ha, ha, have we bombed anybody since we've been, or have we been bombed since we've been recording? No, we haven't. Okay, okay good. Uh, I mean, can we just can we take thirty seconds on that? Like, the, I mean, yes. This whole thing just it seems unreal. Um, like yeah. the the idea. I just it's and I mean I've read the Atlantic pieces and all that stuff, but I just mm-hmm. it's hard to take it's hard to look at North Korea and what they're doing and take it seriously. And right. it's so stupefying that I, we're acting like we're taking it seriously at this point. Yeah. Like I, I, it's really frustrating because it's just, I mean, this, this is like, this is the annoying dog down the street. that's very small, but barks a lot. Like you, you don't, you just let the dog bark. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, if it bites right. you, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to get a small bite mark. Like you don't, you don't go and get your 12 gauge out of your shed and come over right. and start threatening the dog with the 12 gauge. It's not going to start barking. Like it's going to keep, it's probably going to bark louder at that point. Then what are you going to do? Right. That's, and, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I think, I think the, you know, the, the, them hitting the United States seems remote, you know, what they could do to Seoul and South Korea is of course much more terrifying on a kind of a human scale. But yeah, this seems like, like they've been issuing weird threats for 25, for my, most of my life. And now we've decided to fight fury if they keep, th- I, 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 anyway, the good news is we're not dead yet. So we can talk about what's happening with Disney you know, proper stuff. So this kind of hits in our wheelhouse a little bit. Uh, Disney announcing yesterday that they are, so a lot, lots happened here, but in, in two years, so in 2019, they're pulling all of their TV and movies off of Netflix. They are setting up their own independent streaming service. So I assume you've read more on this, but it sounds like it's going to be kind of like their version of HBO go for Disney movies, Disney shows, all this Disney stuff. Um, they're going to be getting my 10 bucks a month on that. I know it, but they're also going to be setting up a, uh, uh, an ESPN streaming service. And, uh, this is going to be next year. Um, and again, it's sounding like it's going to be similar, like the a la carte HBO go 10, 20 bucks a month, whatever access on, on all of your devices. And this is, um, there's a lot, there is a, it's a big deal kind of in, in the streaming world. And I'm interested to hear your take on this because my, one of my gut reactions, and I, I'm interested to see why my gut reaction on this is wrong, but my gut reaction was that this could potentially really be a boost to the cable TV industry. And here's why, and this is going to be conventional wisdom and I can't wait. And I know you're going the other way. And so I'm introducing this as a, this is probably flawed, but it's kind of where my mind went yesterday. And I can't wait to hear kind of the the different take on it. So the, 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 the logic I would have would be like, you have your high speed internet. You have ten bucks a month for Netflix. You're spending ten bucks a month on Hulu. You're spending ten ten to twenty bucks a month on HBO Go. Um, any other streaming services. Now you're going to spend ten to twenty bucks on ESPN a month. Maybe if you've got kids, ten to twenty bucks on the Disney app. 
there will be more along the way. This is not going to end with Disney. So there will be other standalone apps. And wouldn't it be great if there was some way you could pay a company one monthly fee to have all of these all of this content and all of these channels delivered to you. And of course that's cable TV and the traditional bundle. Um, but you had said yesterday when we were talking about this and, and, and sharing it, I think on Facebook that you think, Oh no, it's on Twitter, but you think that this marks that everyone's talking about how this is a death knell for Netflix, that they're going to lose. This is a big deal. Netflix is losing Disney, which I don't agree with because their Netflix's catalog, their strength on it is not the fact that they have Moana right now. You know, they have, they have their, their depth is kind of what makes, makes them good. But you thought it could be the, it could make the, mark the end of cable TV. So tell me how I'm wrong here. Well, okay. Maybe not the end of cable TV as we know it, but certainly I think what we're watching is a marketplace that doesn't know what it's doing going back and forth wildly between two different concepts. Now, you know, there was a ringer article that I read earlier today that I thought kind of summed it up well. You know, when we started with all of this, we had, um, you know, we had content in search of a way to distribute it. And, you know, the idea was Netflix exists and something like Hulu exists. And that's that's how we can get content out to people. Now it's kind of switching around. Now, now the content is starting to distribute itself to some degree. And so all of these companies that are producing content are saying to themselves, well, wait a minute our most valuable commodity in this is the content because we can, we can create our own streaming service. Why would we even not, you know, whether it's giving away or selling, why would we, why would we outsource our content distribution to somebody else for them to make money off of? Right. And you know, the reason I thought that this was going to negatively affect cable more than Netflix is that Netflix has been preparing for not having Disney or not having other, uh, forms of content on their service for a while now. I mean, that's why right. they've made so many investments in original content, whether it's movies or whether it's television shows, because we're starting to see, you know, what was it like the Torchlight Film Collection has its own distribution system. And now Disney's going to have their own distribution system. And, you know, I think ESPN 30 for 30 was, it was off of, of Netflix for a while. I don't know if it's back on again or not. I think it's one of those things that uh, comes and goes. Right. Right. Um, So Netflix is looking at it and saying, well, we're going to have to basically be our own production house and then distribute our content that way. And I think this, this process is going to continue to happen because CBS has the same sort of thing going. Certainly HBO does ESPN's got its own service. And I think this hurts cable because cable people, the cable companies don't produce their own content at all. Like they have, they have always just strictly been distribution centers. Um, And if I'm a, let's say I'm Disney. So I've got in my stable, I've got Disney, I've got ESPN, I've got the Miramax film library. I've got a few other things. Why would I go back to Comcast and Cox and Time Warner and all these other cable companies and say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll bundle our stuff and we'll get it back to you when I could just as easily bundle it myself and give it to the uh, and give it to people, and then at that point, the only company that's really well positioned in that, from a cable perspective, is is probably Comcast because right. they own they, NBC, NBC and, Universal, right? Right. Uh, but you know, you look at a lot of these middle level cable companies, uh, and you don't have the same sort of setup. And so, uh, if if the dist- and, and the other the other aspect to keep in mind is that the delivery process increasingly is 
the internet. It's an internet stream. It's a wireless stream. It's, it's something you're watching on your phone or on your tablet. Maybe you're watching it on your television, but a lot of times you're casting to your television from a device. Right. Whereas the entire cable industry or most of the cable industry is still centered around that coax cable coming out of your wall and going into your television. And I think that mm. those two things combined, the lack of content creation on the part of the cable companies and the fact that they are still handcuffed to legacy media transmission, that's where it becomes a big problem. Like Netflix can adapt. Netflix mm-hmm. could decide, well, you know, we really want audiences. Okay. Let's get into the sports game. Amazon can decide right. to do the same thing. I, I mean, you know, the, the big cable companies outside of Comcast can't really do that. Right. It's, it, it, it is interesting. It is. I mean, it's fascinating to think about. I, I guess I think about it from more of a consumer standpoint than a kind of like macro business scale. And, you know, am I going to spend X amount on ESPN streaming? Am I going to? And it'll be. I mean, one thing that'll be that will be fascinating is right now you can stream all of like ESPN, Disney, all of those if you have a cable subscription. Or you know someone who you can hijack their password. Not that I know anybody who does that, but 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 theoretically. Saw, by, the way, by the way, by the way, just to break in, I saw an ad like a, a flyer taped up to a wall on Kirkwood Avenue here yesterday, advertising basically cracked Amazon Fire Sticks with really? all of, with all of the like services available. Oh, on. that's brilliant. Well, it's brilliant until you go to jail, but yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I mean yeah, it's brilliant. It's illegal, but it's brilliant. Um, so would, you would load it up and you like could watch HBO Go because it would have like a password on it. It would have all yeah. of these. Ah, cool. Um, yeah, wholly illegal, but but terribly interesting. Um, that's The Wire season six, by the way. Cracked fire sticks. That's right. Um, but I, uh, but, but I mean, it, so it, it is, you, you can, you, you can still stream them. I mean, it. I don't know. I, I find it very fascinating from the am I again, we t- kind of talked about this when we talked about the athletic a few weeks ago. You know, am I is this going to be worth my ten uh, my and being yours or whoever's ten dollars a month to buy? Is this going are, do you get enough out of it? And I think one of the I mean, there's some interesting things to think about. I think one of them is how quickly can you like can you go for a month, drop it and then come back? So like with HBO, I'm pretty sure you can. You can subscribe like while Game of Thrones is up. Once Game of Thrones is done, you hit you, you cancel your subscription. You basically pay thirty, forty, whatever, however much for however long the show you want is on, and and, and you bag it. And you know, so is if that's possible, it kind of more because I think we we talk a lot about the a la carte style of TV, which is definitely what we're moving to in the streaming era, right? You can pay for exactly what you want and kind of get what you want. If you don't want ESPN, you're not going to, you're not a sports fan. You don't have to pay for this ESPN. You don't have to pay 